Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SciComm Toolkit podcast, the show for scientists and science communicators to get all the tools they need to become more confident talking about science. Today's episode is the final one of season one. I cannot believe we have reached this stage already, but I have really loved creating this podcast project over the past couple of months. And believe me when I say there is so, so, so much more to come. Today, we have another interview for you to wrap the season up with another of my favourite science communicators and a huge inspiration, and that is the wonderful Julia Raby. I've known Julia through the Instagram Psychon world for a few years now, and we've met up on a couple of occasions, but I am always in awe of the things she does. So I was thrilled when she said yes to coming on my little podcast. There was so much gold in the chat I had with her, but unfortunately I just couldn't fit it all in unless you guys wanted to listen to a two hour episode. I guess you didn't, but that does mean that there are lots of bonus tips and wisdom just sitting here on my computer ready to share with you in the future. But what I did manage to squeeze in was a lot about managing your time and different SciComm projects and outlets because Julia does so much that it just blows my mind. You will learn how many when we get into the interview and prepare yourself. We also talk a little bit about her performing background and how that has influenced her SciComm career and side hustle. And then talking about side hustle, we touch on the topic that everyone wants to learn more about, and that is getting paid for SciComm. So without further ado, let's get into it. I am delighted to introduce you to Julia Raby. Yeah, so welcome to my little podcast project. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to have you here because I I love everything that you do. Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I really don't know how you do it, which I'm probably going to get into a lot with the questions because I'm just like, do you do you sleep? Do you do you have time to eat or anything like that? Well, definitely um, sleep, sleep is number one priority. <laughs> like, honest, I would never give up my sleep for anything. So, yes. I can definitely get into how I balance what yeah it's never cut in sleep ever ever fabulous that's good news for me yeah. <laughs> um yeah so I think you do so many different time types of science communication so for the people listening I'll just list a few of them which are kind of Instagram TikTok YouTube podcasting blogging presenting and you do all of that alongside being a PhD student but now in your new psychom role too um so first <laughs> well, of all yeah. wow <laughs> when I hear all that I'm like oh my goodness it's I think just because yeah I get so used to doing things day to day and then when you list it out you're like oh that is a lot and it probably speaks volumes about my like lack of ability to just stick to doing one thing and lack of restraint when I have ideas I just have to act on them and I'm just like I'll just start this now and it's like oh my goodness you're doing 20 things I think what I tend to do which is terrible I will get really excited about an idea and be like oh my goodness this is gonna be great I'm gonna put loads of time and effort into this and then I start it and then I'll think of another idea and because the thing I've started I've gotten used to I crave that sort of, that initial burst of motivation you get when 
you're starting something new and it's like so exciting and all the potentials there and the prospects of like what is going to happen with it is so unknown I think I really crave that which can be quite bad because then a project that I have and it's been going for a bit I'll be like oh I want to start this other project and I've already sort of committed to doing something before and then I'm just adding more and more things to my plate to keep that like I want to do more things so I think it sounds like um something someone's described to me I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect or something mm. where you just constantly have that like you're looking for that high and wanting to maintain the high all the time yeah um, like I can't I really do it's like yeah your your brain like normalizes being like it normalizes your mood actually quite quickly like highs and lows you know you can go mm-hmm. from you know feeling on top of the world because you've I don't know won a prize for something and you think this is amazing. And then within a few days, like you normalize it pretty quickly. And I think it's the same with even lows that happen as well. You know, you can go through some pretty rough times and then over time you can sort of normalize that as well. And yeah, the I think I'm always chasing the, I want to feel really elated and happy. Whereas sometimes it's like, it's better to just like chill in the moment and like be at peace with like just feeling fine and not having to be like ah like really hyper about something which I tend to I tend to like lean towards that I think I try try to like start lots of different things as well partly because of that but also I think mainly to keep myself busy and look like I'm constantly doing stuff as well yeah I have such a problem with that it's that outward sort of it's like drilled into us in a way that working hard and working long hours and doing a lot of stuff is productive and what you should be doing whereas you Mm -hmm. can actually just fill your time with a lot of tasks that aren't actually driving you towards the goal that you have and that then actually like just reduces your energy and reduces your focus on the tasks that are gonna be more beneficial to you and yeah I definitely fall victim to that a lot of the time and just will end up doing so 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 much work and even when I do loads and loads of work at the end of the day I don't feel I don't feel good unless I've done the work towards the things that I actually am like ah that's the thing that I actually wanted to do and like want to work on if I complete mm-hmm. a task like that and I'm like I know that's like something that really aligns with what I want to do then I feel great at the end of the day and I could have not done anything else just that one task is like enough but I have days sometimes where I'm working from like six in the morning till seven at night. And at the end of those days, I could I could have not done anything towards what I actually want to do. I've just filled my time with busy work. Yeah. I also find it a bit tricky to kind of balance um, what I want to do in a personal capacity, as well as what I kind of need to do in a professional, in my full-time job thing as well, especially since we've been at home because like I'm literally sat at my desk now doing my little projects but this is also where I work so it's kind of I'm finding it really difficult to be sat here trying to do both and keeping those boundaries and separating them as well yeah I I'm the same I try and move around the house for different things which is (laughs) maybe a bit um, inconvenient but I do try and establish different places in my house where I work on certain projects and it just gives you that it's like a, a physical boundary of okay now I'm in this space and this is where I do this type of work so yeah I'm really looking forward to coffee shops reopening again because obviously we haven't had yeah we haven't had our coffee shops and for me especially with creative like science communication work there is nothing better for me 
than to pick up my laptop, get to a coffee shop really early in the morning and sit for like three hours. And I, I, I just get so much done in that environment and not having that has been really, really challenging. Yeah, like you said, it's just just getting out of the house and just going somewhere else, knowing that you have a specific aim. It's almost like going to work, like going to, to the office. Like, you know, today I need to do X, Y, Z, but we haven't been able to do that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps with distractions and feeling pulled in different directions. If you're doing all your work in the one, I don't know, the one room on the one desk, then it's very like, oh, I need to be working on this now, but I also could be working on this. And I think the indecision between all the different tasks is much more likely to rise up when you're doing all the work in the one place. So yeah, I try my best to like just move around a little bit. Even like when I work in the morning, I actually work in my bed, which is like terrible and not good for your <laughs> spine and posture. But when I get up really early in the morning, I get a cup of tea, get back in bed and I've got one of those little cushions with like a table on the top. And I'll just do like an hour and a half of work in my bed. And then that's like different from when I start my day job, which is then all at my actual desk in my room. Because yeah, I live in a house with my um, sister and her partner. So I don't have, you know, it's not my house. It's not like I have loads of space. And Mm -hmm. so I try and like, even just within my one room have like, okay, when I sit here, I try and do this type of work. And then when I sit here, I do different work. And then sometimes I'll pick up my laptop and go sit in the kitchen for a little bit if I want to really like try and freshen up my environment. And it's like, yeah, this is definitely pandemic times trying to freshen up your Mm. environment. It's literally going from like one room to another rather than like I said before, just like going to a completely different, I don't know, building or going into work or into the office. So yeah, I, I need that sometimes just like I need a physical change of scene to actually get stuff done in a different like domain. That's really quite, um, like an amazing skill to have though just to be able to say like right I'm sat here this is what I'm focusing on when I'm sitting here this is something else like because even yeah even if I was going to move to another like there's a green kind of velvety armchair behind me if I was going to move there to do like work stuff I, I still don't think I would be able to do that because I'm still working maybe on the same laptop or something like that mm. so I think that's a really a really good skill to have oh yeah I I have tried like my best to really like when I'm doing a task try and commit fully to that task and not think about other things outside of it which that can be hard especially if you're like I don't know really excited about another task that you're not doing in that moment or you're really nervous for something or you know you have to prepare for something else but I sort of have made like a internal rule with myself that when I'm doing a task I try my best to do it fully I try my best to be like okay for this task now who do I need to be and it's it's quite an interesting mental exercise if you're like, okay, right now, for example, I'm like, right now, I'm a podcaster. All I'm thinking about is the podcast and talking to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that like trying to really train yourself to get into the headspace of who you need to be for each task is really, really useful for like cutting off the other things that you don't need to focus on in that moment. So how, how have you done that? How have you learned how to do that? I think I like... I think it was about maybe a year ago. I think with COVID, I found it like much more difficult, like I said, because you're stuck in one place. So I found it much more difficult to get into that real focus. And I actually like, I use a calendar for everything that I do. My calendar is my absolute like Bible. Mm -hmm. And I block my tasks out quite religiously into that. 
And when I go in to do a task, I try and like, I don't even think I consciously do it now. Like, I think it's subconscious, but I used to say to myself like, okay, for the next hour, I don't know, I'm researching for a blog. So right now, like I'm a researcher and that's the hat that I need to wear. And then there are other times when this came in really handy when I was writing my PhD thesis, because with a PhD, you have to play about eight roles at once. And so when writing a thesis, you need to be the writer, the researcher, the editor, you need to have all of these different roles. And I got fell into a trap of trying to do everything all at once. And I was trying to write what I wanted to say, whilst also like scrutinizing it and being like, well, that sounds rubbish. And that's Mm -hmm. not good which I guess I, I'm sure you've been through similar with your thesis. Oh, many times, many yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really like, oh my goodness, you you really, I don't know, berate yourself and beat yourself up about the words not sounding good. And I just got to this place and I was like, do you know what? I Like, it's they're two different jobs and you're trying to do them simultaneously. So in this hour session where I'm writing my thesis, I'm a writer, I don't care how good it sounds, how rubbish it sounds. It's all about getting words on the page And then I'd block in time in my calendar where I'd be the editor and go in and be like, okay, this hour is where you go and edit it and make it sound better. And I think having that sort of distinction, you could, you know, even write it in your calendar within your like time blocks or when you put something in the calendar, you could write in brackets next to it, like the role that you're playing in that hour or so. Um, And that it just really, really, it really helps. And it sort of takes away the overwhelm for me and the drama. And I'm like, if, if the editor's voice starts coming in being like, that doesn't sound good, I go, well, this is not your job right now. So goodbye, go away. Yeah, not your time to shine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it may sound a bit like, oh, like, does that actually work? But it, I think it just, I think sometimes for me, I get quite overwhelmed and think about everything all at once. And it stops me doing that if I'm like, okay, I know later on today, I've got an hour where I'm dedicating my time solely to editing that piece. So right now I do not have to think about that at all. And having that is the power of having like a calendar that you really do follow because you know that everything you want to do is in there. So when you're actually doing tasks, you don't have to worry about getting things done because they're already like blocked out for you. Do you have a YouTube video about how you do this? I do. I do. I have a YouTube video about how I time block my calendar and how I make that. And actually, Sove, I got the idea from you in one of your posts. <laughs> yeah, because I remember you you put up something, it was either a story or a post, and you were saying, oh, this is how I do my calendar. And it was a Google calendar, which I was using. And you were like, I block out, you know, my week and my week is like a template. And you have, mm-hmm. you know, you always work from, I don't know, nine till 12 at your job, Monday to Friday. So that's always in there as a consistent block and it repeats week on week. And then, so I was like, that is an amazing idea. I just have to have a template. And then all I need to do on a Saturday or Sunday is sit for half an hour and change like what the titles of the blocks are. So I will have, for example, I wake up quite early, which I don't advise to people because everyone's quite different in terms of, you know, some people need to sleep a bit longer and they prefer to work at night. I'm terrible. Like if it hits 10 o'clock at night, I am absolutely like passed out. My body knows when it's 10 o'clock because I am yawning. So I, I go to bed at like half past nine and I wake up really early in the morning. And then, so for example, every morning I have blocked in my calendar from like, I think it's six till half seven. I have blocked in my calendar, calendar just practical time. It's just called practical mm-hmm. time. 
And then on a Sunday, I'll sit and say, okay, what do I want to do practically on a Monday? So I'll do, for example, practical work for me would be like writing something or making something. And then in the evening, I do a bit more like creative work, which is more like researching for things and and trying to come up with ideas. Like I'm much better in the morning at just getting things done. So that's how I normally spend my morning. I got the idea from a coach who I invested in last year called Holly Bray. She's Mm -hmm. at a branch of Holly on Instagram and she basically revolutionized my life with this. (laughs) Um, So yeah, basically just adding time in your calendar to say, right, this is what you're focusing on and giving yourself time for like a morning routine and even just scheduling in time for when you might want to make dinner or relax just so you have that one focus which is what we've been describing in this kind of little chat but yeah it was amazing just to see like how a simple thing could have much impact so simple and yeah scheduling your rest and the time you have like fun times you want to have and yeah just cooking your dinner exercise like getting everything in and I think some people may say, well, it takes away the spontaneity of, you know, just like being creative and doing what you want. And I'm like, to me, it actually doesn't like to me, having an empty calendar is quite stressful. And it makes me really overwhelmed because I just start thinking of all oh, there's 20 things I could do today. And then I never get around to doing any of them because I spend the day trying to decide what to do. So having like the blocks in the calendar, you don't necessarily have to be like, okay, in this block, I'm going to do the like really specific like this this and this if that Mm -hmm. feels too constrained you can just be like okay in this block I'm gonna do some drawing and you might not even say what the drawing is but you could just like go ahead and do it or like I need I find it easy to be a bit more specific because then it stops me being overwhelmed like the more specific for me the better yeah I've seen people do it in so many different ways because some people might find a whole week of just completely blocked out time really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and I found that some people just kind of do an am and pm thing so in the morning they might be working on um, a particular article they're writing but then in the afternoon they're sort of doing the graphics that might go with it so it's not quite as overwhelming and you're giving yourself a bit more sort of space to breathe than within that yeah it's it's still dedicating the time but not to the extent where if you don't fulfill the really specific tasks you feel bad about it which I think is also a balance because you know if you have a to-do list that's you know really really long and then you don't complete it you can feel a bit like disappointed in yourself whereas yeah if you have that block in the morning which is to write a blog post it's not specified like I want to write 2,000 words and it has to be like this and that it's more like just write the blog post and you can tick that off because yeah you've done it you know write blog post for three hours and then that's a really easy like tick because I did it. Yeah, I think it's just the the principle of it. And I think you can apply it however suits you. You can do as detailed or as loose mm-hmm. as as what suits you, I guess. I did plan to kind of talk about all this, um, like um, time blocking and task batching in another episode. So there will be more on this and all the insights that I can share from my experience on it as well. But it's great to see that it's helped other people as well. <laughs> yes, so helpful. I recommend it to everyone. It is I think that's actually like one of my favorite, you know, productivity type of tips. If you've got stuff that mm-hmm. you really want to get done, that for me is I, I say straight away, are you using your calendar? Like, yeah, well, I sort of use it. I'm like, no, but do you use your calendar? Yeah, like, yeah. my calendar is my life. And yeah, like I really do like have it 
to hand all the time. Yeah, no, it's it's a game changer. So everyone needs to go and now experiment with that and see what, mm-hmm. how it might work for them. Definitely. So with all of the things that you do, the numerous amount, how how do you fit it all in? How do you stay on on track and balancing everything? So, well, yeah, definitely my calendar, as we've yeah. just established. My calendar is essentially like my other half. But I really have to prioritize what I want to get done, which can be tricky at times for me, especially because like I do do a lot of different things. A lot. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) I can feel at times that I am neglecting one of them or leaving one of them out. And that makes me feel guilty. So I think I have to be quite you know, strict with myself and really Mm -hmm. speak and say, okay, for the next month, what is the priority and what do you have to put most of your energy into? And then what can you keep ticking over? And I feel like the priority will shift between different things. And sometimes the priority will be YouTube videos. And I'll be like, okay, this month, I really want to record a good few YouTube videos. So I have them all together and then I can edit them over the next couple of months and then put them out and you know making YouTube videos it takes a lot of time because you have to especially I do YouTube videos that are about productivity but also about how our brains work and I try and like amalgamate the two put them together Mm -hmm. so it means I have to do quite a lot of research and then quite a lot of okay how am I then going to say that in a 10 minute sort of way And so it's all of, if YouTube is the priority, then a lot of my spare time is spent doing scripts, like writing and research and then getting all the filming done. And then that means other things like Instagram and TikTok will have to go on the back burner a little bit. And for Mm -hmm. me, I'm really terrible at just being like, well, I'm not going to do that for the month because that's, I will just, I don't know when I go back to it, I feel really bad. And I'm like, oh, I haven't done anything on that for like ages. So I will just like give those things like a set time each week. And I'm like, okay, for Instagram this week, you have two hours where you can come up with what post you want to do, write some captions, and then that's it. I think I have okay. to be I have to be quite like strict with myself. And there are times with all platforms where something is a bit more spontaneous. And in the day I'll be like, oh, that's a I really want to post about that today because it's quite topical and relevant. And that's when I'll like, you know, on my lunchtime just come up with a caption and stuff but I am trying to be much better at being like okay have a main focus and then the other things that you do have them ticking along in the background not completely leaving them to one side Mm. just giving yourself you know uh, quite a strict like time period of okay two hours a week that's how much time I spend doing that task and however much I get done that's better than not doing anything at all so that's how I sort of keep a lot of things going at once so you're clearly like a superwoman at planning and everything. So how do you actually follow through on the task you set yourself in a given time? Because I I can often have blocked my calendar out, but when it comes to sitting down and doing a particular task, I'm like, oh, I really can't be bothered. So how do you stop the procrastination in that time that you've given yourself? Yeah, this is something that I have really struggled with in the past. And I feel like if you're working on something you really love, we have this expectation that we're going to really enjoy the process and it's going to be really like nice and feel like energizing because you're doing what you love. But I've actually found the opposite. I feel like when I'm doing something that I love in the sense of like, this is what I really want to do. 
I have a lot more internal drama because it means more to me. So mm-hmm. I will tend to sit down to do something and then the perfectionism will kick in and be like, oh, well, this isn't, you know, going to be the best it can be. So what's the point in doing it? Because, you know, this is something that actually means a lot to you and you want it to be absolutely spot on. So I definitely face that resistance when I come to work. And I found that really the ways that I get on with doing the work is to ensure that all of the really boring things in life are like looked after. And by boring things, I mean, making sure I sleep properly. So Mm -hmm. getting a solid eight hours sleep, making sure I'm eating properly, making sure I'm exercising, making sure I'm taking time out, all of those things, if I'm doing them right, then I can manage my emotions much better when it comes to sitting down to do a task. If I'm not doing those things, I really let my emotions take hold and I will be like, I'm not doing it then. I'm just going to procrastinate and scroll through Instagram instead of actually doing the work that I wanted to do. So yeah, it's about nailing the basics, I'd say, in my life to make sure that I can regulate my emotions. And then just in the session itself, because I just feel like whenever I work, I have those thoughts and feelings of I don't want to do this and this feels uncomfortable. But it's about, for me, just sitting in that and not giving into it, which has been Mm. a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a challenge to not just give in to that sensation. So I make sure if I'm working on something on my laptop that my phone is nowhere near me, like my phone Mm. is in a drawer in a different room. Uh, Because it's so easy if you have this sensation of, oh, I really don't want to do this. I'll just have a quick scroll on Instagram. It's so easy to do that. And I would do that all the time, especially I just remember revising for exams in undergrad and feeling like, oh, this work is so difficult. I just don't know what to do. So instead I'll just scroll on my phone. And it's just really not a good pattern of behavior to get into and a a good thing to rely on. So I tend to put my phone in another room and then just sit in that discomfort and be like, okay, I can I can do this, take a deep breath and then keep going. And what you're actually doing there is training your attention to just really focus on the task. Yeah, I need to do a lot of work on this because I, I just get distracted or think, oh, I'd rather be doing like a podcast script or something like that instead of actually doing my actual job. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely I to work on. I, I, I completely get that as well. And yeah, it's hard when you've got passion projects. Yeah. And in a way, I suppose, like just learning self-discipline, like you've set yourself this task, just just get on and do with it. Yeah, it's like integrity to yourself. And, you know, you can I think you can practice this in so many areas of your life. So, for example, for me, I try and never snooze my alarm in the morning, which is sometimes really, really challenging. But mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those like it's keeping promises to yourself and following through with it. So what would you say are your, let's say, top three tips for planning and managing different psychon projects that you're doing oh top three tips number one is to yeah get your calendar time block your calendar and when it comes to time blocking your calendar put in the tasks that you want to get done first and really think about okay what is my focus at the minute and what do I want to achieve And that should go into the calendar first. And then you can fit other tasks in around that. The second thing I would say is to read around a lot and not just in your subject area. I try my best to read, I don't know, like I read neuroscience articles. I try and read other like popular science articles. 
I read other people's um, Instagram posts. I watch YouTube's. I read books, all like little bits of information here and there, because that is how you get sparks of inspiration. And I feel like when you have inspiration, it's much easier to actually do the work. So have a really wide pool of resources that you are digesting, mentally digesting. And then the third thing is to just make sure you really understand the why, like why are you Mm -hmm. wanting to communicate science and having a why that has a sort of greater purpose in the sense of if it's like a disease that you have been affected by, your family's been affected by, and you want to communicate about that. If you want to get people engaged in science and you might have a specific type of person in mind, you might think, oh, I really want to get, I don't know, young girls from this background involved in science, then always having that like mission underneath your science communication, it it makes it much easier to work if you think that you have like, okay, this is actually going to help someone. And I think your why should always be about helping someone else. If it's an internal sort of, I want to do this for me because it looks good on my CV, that's much, much harder to like Mm. actually like just do the work. Whereas if you think, okay, if I post this video today, this could really, really help someone who's been through what I've been through, or this could really help someone to understand the intricacies of a certain disease and where we're up to with that, or it could inspire people to want to go into science. So having that why I think is so important for keeping on top of your planned science communication work. I totally agree with the whole why thing. It's so, so important. It keeps you on track. It just makes sure that what you're doing is actually worth your time investment and energy investment as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, completely on board with that one. Why then all the different mediums and platforms? Like why TikTok and Instagram and all those other things? So I think this is where I just got out of control really because (laughs) I, I started on Instagram. So this was in June, 2018. And I had the Instagram account for about a year before that and didn't post a single thing because this is me and my perfectionism. You know, it took me a while to actually post. And I started to build an audience through Instagram. This is, yeah, so this is quite funny because on Instagram, I initially had the idea of not putting my face on Instagram and just having it about science. And if you know me as a person, I'm very, (laughs) very, I'm a people person. Like I love people. I'm very extroverted and get all my energy from being around people and all the people I follow post about themselves. And I wasn't planning on doing that. And then after a few posts, I was like, I can't not talk about the things that I'm going through. And now my account is very, very, you know, personal to the core. Like I talk a lot about what I go through. So that was like a funny sort of idea that I wasn't even going to mention who I was and be like an anonymous (laughs) sort of account because I'm not an anonymous sort of person. I'm very, very like, hello like (laughs) that's my energy and then I decided that I wanted to do YouTube because I became sort of known on Instagram in the little sitcom sort of community that we had as being like a science artist which I was like this is interesting because I'm not and I loved (laughs) drawing and I loved all the doodling but I became really known for like oh Julia's artwork and I was like I'm not being like, oh, but that's not really what I want to do. I didn't want to be a science artist. I love drawing and I love doing little doodles and I find it really fun, but I didn't want to be an illustrator. My aim with the platform was like, I want to eventually be able to do science communication as a career and speaking science and writing science. I don't really want to be an illustrator. So I was like, right, I'm going to start a YouTube because then that'll help me practice with presenting and hopefully 
it will enable me to like move from the idea that I'm a science artist to a science presenter more vibe. So I did that. And then TikTok literally came about because of the pandemic last year. And it's really funny because I got TikTok and I was like, this is a fun platform. I'll just post a few science things. And then some of them did okay. And I said to myself, I remember saying, I'm not, I'm not going to make TikTok like Instagram. I'm not going to make it like a scheduled thing. I'm not, it's just going to be for fun. But then what happened was I built like a bit of an audience on there. And then I felt obliged to have to treat it like another line of communication. So it was never intended to be that. And now I've sort of shot myself in the foot a little bit, I think, because I've got audiences on three different platforms who want three different types of content. So right. I've sort of done that to myself. And I, I was speaking to my partner about this at the weekend. And he was like, you really need to think about having, you know, one topic or whatever for the week and post about it across all of this, all the different platforms. Mm. Sorry. So you're not, he's like, at the minute, you're making original content for three different platforms every single week. And he said, it's just ridiculous. Like you're going to burn out. And I have, well, I have been burning out, I think recently. So I think it, it wasn't, it was never intentional to have all of these different lines of communication whilst also doing a PhD and having a job yeah it's very hard (laughs) Mm, yeah it's it's tricky to learn how to balance it so one thing I get asked quite often and maybe you do too is if you have like psychom qualifications or if you need psychom qualifications to do it full-time so I don't have any formal psychom qualifications and I don't think you do nope I have absolutely zero I just had some confidence and went for it like that's essentially you know uh, yeah I get asked a lot like how how do you get into it and I was like you just have to bite the bullet and start posting and you know you you, there are incredible science communication courses out there completely Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so sure about that but you don't need to go and get a master's in science communication to do science communication you can be a science communicator by just putting things out on the internet and communicating science so what about a PhD? Do you think you need a PhD to go into science communication full time? No, I don't think you do. I think a PhD, obviously a benefit if you're doing science communication in a specific area. So for me with my job, because I'm doing science communication around dementia, I feel very, very comfortable communicating any work in that field because I've studied it yeah. so much. So I think it's beneficial if you have a very specific, I want to do this. But otherwise, I just think, no, like if you can read science, understand what it is and then communicate that accurately, that's all you need to do. So I feel like if you've got a degree in science, an undergraduate degree, then you can definitely do science communication. And did you discover Psycom was like a career option during your PhD? Yes, I didn't know it was a career option at all. Yeah. And it's so strange, isn't it? Because... I went into my PhD very much with the idea of I want to be a professor and I wanted to do academia. But then actually when I started doing lab work day to day, I just felt like something was missing and something was lacking, which I think for me is is the interaction with people and the sort of educational side of things and the teaching side of things. But I didn't want to be like a lecturer. So I was like, oh, I don't really know what it is I want. And then, yeah, when I started posting my stuff online and saw not only what other PhD students posting online, but there were actual people whose full-time, full-time job was to communicate science. I was like, that is amazing. That is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that I had known about it before like pursuing a PhD. Cause I think then I might've done like a psych master's instead yeah. to try and get in that way. 
But, yeah, um, I agree. I I think if I'd have known about it, be, yeah, by the time I finished my undergrad, I probably would have gone into a postgraduate in science communication or just gone straight into a job that is like communicating science or trying to do science journalism or something like that. I think I would have gone down that route if I if I'd known about it before the PhD. Yeah, I agree. You have quite a strong background in sort of performing and performative arts and things. So how has that influenced or helped your science communication? Yeah, so my, well, it's funny, like when I was going to university, I was so torn between studying medicine or doing drama, go to acting school. And I chose acting school I went to a few auditions and I hated it and I was like oh my goodness like my and my mum was like you do realize that would be your career I remember mm-hmm. one particular audition I went to they looked at my like grades and they were like why are you here <laughs> and I was <laughs> like well I, I really want to do performance I want to be an actor and they said but you're getting like top marks in chemistry and maths like what is going on they said, go to university and come back. And so with that advice, I was like, do you know what? I'll, I will go to university and just see in a few years if I want to go for the acting thing again. And then I decided to do neuroscience and went to uni. I didn't want to do medicine, really. Like medicine was one of those things because science wasn't spoken about at school. It's like, if you're good at science, you should do medicine. I think that was the yeah. automatic. I don't know if you felt like that. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Like- I was like, the only thing I can do with science is become a doctor. Exactly. And it was like, that was the only thing. And I think people who were good at science at school, that was pushed on you quite a lot. Like you could could do medicine and that'll be really good for our school. So I was like, medicine was only ever a a consideration because of that. And not because I actually wanted to be a medical doctor because I'm actually terrified of blood. I'm really (laughs) squeamish. Yeah. And I'm too emotional to be a doctor. I'm too empathetic. Yeah. So I, I've always done acting ever since I was really little. I've always done acting and I've done a lot of dance and things like that as well. So I'm very used to being on stage. And I think when I found out about science communication, I was like, that's actually the perfect amalgamation of my Mm -hmm. science, my love for science and my performing background. And I can really, I get an absolute buzz from performing. And during my undergrad, I probably spent more time in the theatre than I did in lectures, which is terrible. But I did, <laughs> yeah, I know. I did a lot of plays and musicals while I was in my undergrad. And I just absolutely loved the whole process from, I don't know, being a character, learning your lines, rehearsing, being on stage. Like, I absolutely love it. And I, but I still wasn't like, I want to go to drama school. I think the experience of when I was 17, 18, trying for drama school and I didn't get into the three that I applied for, I think that really has hurt me. And I think it still hurts me now, not in the sense of like, I'm upset about it, but in the sense of it knocked my confidence quite a lot. And it mm-hmm. made me go, well, maybe I'm not good at acting. Which I think that's where my brain goes to. If I get rejected, it goes, well, obviously you're just not good at that. When, you know, I've got mm-hmm. a grade eight in, in drama, like, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, you've got all the evidence there that you can act. Yeah. But I think that really knocked me. So yeah, when I found science communication, I was like, that is perfect because it means that I can do what I love, which is learn about science and appreciate science and be in awe by science, but also do what I love in the sense of I can talk about science, present science, bring that to people and make it into like a little like performance and, you know, write a script and learn a script. So it has the two things together. And it's really helpful, I think, for like 
confidence with public speaking because I'm just used to being in front of people. Like it, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say I don't get nervous. I do get nervous, but I can handle that because I'm used to it. Yeah, I wish I was better at public speaking because I gave up doing drama in year seven mm. to do German instead because I was like, I, I loved learning languages. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't have given up drama that quickly. And even if I had just done it to year nine, like maybe that would have just given me that extra little bit of confidence that I needed to stand up and talk in front of everyone. But. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, if you are a scientist who wants to communicate, doing some acting classes is definitely like a beneficial thing. It's, it's about like just being able to channel the energy that you have when you're nervous. Because when you're an mm. actor, you, it is really nerve, nerve wracking. But it's just about, okay, I have all this energy. I know where to put it. And I think that's something that you learn when you learn how to perform. So yeah, it's something that it w- I think it would be really cool to have, you know, like acting classes for scientists to make them feel more comfortable presenting. And I think someone at my work actually did do that. I think she said she went to RADA oh, and there was a class. That's interesting. Of, yeah, I think she was a postdoc and she was like, yeah, I went to this course at RADA and it was like a five day course and they had scientists in there and they did like acting stuff with them to make them feel more comfortable speaking, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. And also um, like improv classes. I've thought about going to improv classes as well, just to be able to like think on my feet and come up with like a response to a question someone might ask me as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. And improv classes teaches you as well that not everything has to be perfect. I feel like sometimes when I speak and ask a question, I feel like I need to have the absolute perfect response or Mm -hmm. I'm going to look really silly. And I think with improv, like you just learn to like lose that ego and you learn to like, okay, I just need to go for it. And it doesn't really matter if it's good or bad. You lose the judgment element, I think of it. And that really increases your confidence. Yes, it has all this performing background that you have made it easier to learn scripts for presenting or doing videos and things like that too. I think so. I think it's like, I think it's helpful because yeah, I'm used to learning scripts and learning lines. For my YouTube videos, I don't know, I tend to go one of of two ways. I either write a script or I just go for it. So it's, it's literally like tale of two halves because there are some times where if I'm doing a certain topic, I'm like, nah, I need to have a script where like I can really communicate this very, very clearly. And that will be the case where I'll either, I just recently got a teleprompt because I didn't have one. So I recently got one mm. and I haven't used it yet. So I should use it. But normally I'll write a script and then with the YouTube, what I would do is sort of read over it and then deliver it to camera. But now I've got the teleprompt. I should, I'll probably use that a little bit more. And then other times I will just write a rough bullet point list of sort of what I want to say and then riff off that so that's for more things like if I'm talking about I don't know ways that I get my work done I'll write 10 ways I do it and then just talk yeah so from presenting a podcast to presenting BBC Bite Size can you tell us some more about the adventures of Miss Ravy (laughs) yes yes so I did some presenting work for BBC Bite Size during lockdown last year I did some biology lessons for pupils aged 11 to age 14. And I went to the studios in Manchester to do that at Salford in Media City. And it was really, Amazing. really fun. Yeah, it was great because I've never done to camera, like it was a script, like auto cue presenting before. And I've mm-hmm. never done it. Um, so it was really good experience just to like get in front of a camera. And then from that, I've done some TikToks for BBC Brightside as well. I've done some Instagram stuff for them. So yeah, I really love 
bite size. I use it doing my GCSEs and stuff. So it's nice to be like, oh, I've done. Yeah, I love bite size. Yeah, it's so good. And the people are all absolutely lovely there. And I also presented a documentary, which hopefully should be out in the next few months. I think, I mean, cross my fingers and we can see because I filmed it in 2019. Is this the one you went to Australia for? Yes, it is. I went to America and Australia and it was a really incredible experience. The documentary series is called Forging the Future and it's due to be out in spring, summer this year. I don't know where it's going to be out or what channel. I mean, that's all. I'm still waiting to hear. It was it was absolutely incredible and, and a great experience. And it gave me the taste of what science communication in that domain is like. And I felt so at home. And I think once I, I did that documentary in September 2019, I was like, that's definitely what I want to do with my life. That like solidified that I wanted to do science communication and not stay in academia. So yeah, it was amazing. I'm the only British presenter. So that's quite exciting. And I'm I think people are going to be like, oh, who's this random scouse person in this American documentary? (laughs) But yeah, it was honestly such an amazing experience. And it's something that hopefully in the future I'll be able to do a lot more of. So how how did the opportunity come come about? This is, yeah, this is incredible because I, people always say, oh, how can I get into that? It's all through posting online. I obviously just have my Instagram platform and would post about, all sorts of science and things like that and through that I've been given so many wonderful opportunities BBC Bite Size was through that through a friend that I met on social media who's also a science well PhD student science communicator and they said oh I've been contacted about this they had an agent I think and they said I put you forward for it because they said you know we have you got anyone who you can think of? And so through that, got BBC Bite Size. So that's the importance of networking with people and making friends. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so important. And then for, for the documentary, I got an email from them and it was from my website. They just emailed me through that and just said, um, we're auditioning people for a documentary um, to be a host. And if you want to like audition, let us know. So I auditioned and then I got it. So that's how it happened. It just came through my Instagram. They found me from Instagram. And then they were like, and at that point in time, I hadn't really put out many videos. I haven't really put out anything of me presenting or talking, but it was just like great that they emailed me. And yeah, then I went through, I had to have an audition. Well, uh, interview with a casting director in Los Angeles over Skype. And then Mm -hmm. from there I had, had to do film a couple of little self-talk videos so send a few of them across and I had to interview someone about a subject so I interviewed my boyfriend uh, he was just like okay fine um, and he's a medical student so I just interviewed him about medicine and then send that across and then from there I had a hour-long chat with the two producers of the episode and then they were like, can you fly out on Friday? And I was like, uh, yes, okay. Oh, and, it, and, it was like, wow. and it was like Tuesday. And I was like, yes, okay. And it was my birthday. <laughs> my birthday was the Sunday. And I was like, um, yeah, no problem. So I just went and I ended up being in New York on my birthday. Like, and yeah, it was just yeah, wild. I was like, if you told me this like two weeks ago, I'd be like, hang on, what? What's going to happen? So oh. that's what I always say. Just like, keep doing what you love. Keep doing what you're passionate about. And like opportunities will come to you and you know they don't come when you expect them to come like it could be so random but if you're not putting yourself out there they're never going to come so like just keep doing what you love improving your craft getting better and better at it and you never know what might happen yeah I know there are a couple of people who listen to this whose 
dream job is to be a science TV presenter. Mm. So is there any advice from the experiences you've had you can share for, for like how to get your foot in the door? Yeah, the only way I've got my foot in the door is, is through like Instagram and presenting and then TikTok because now I have an agent myself and they and the agent found me on TikTok. So they said they saw one of my TikToks and they just reached out to me and were like, are you represented by anyone for science? And I said, no. And she said, I would love to represent you if that is okay. And I was like, oh, cool. So I got, and it was so funny as well because I, this was in summer last year. I had it like written down like on my to-do list. August of 2020, I was like, try and find an agent and like try and email people and get an agent. And then in July 2020, she emailed me and I was like, oh, that is really great timing. So I didn't have to spend my time trying to find an agent. She's, she found me. So that's That's really cool. Amazing. Does it, does it cost you to have an agent? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I don't pay a single thing. And if anyone ever says I'll be your agent and you have to pay me, do not do it because that is not how an agency works. She just represents me and any work that I get, she then takes 10% or 15% of the wage that I get. Great. Which is like, you know, one of those things like for me at this point in time, it's not about money. And I am really, I, I like to say this because I don't, you know, when you're first starting out on this and people will offer you oh, will you promote this random capsule or tea on yeah. your Instagram? Yeah. Don't say yes. Don't say yes. <laughs> just, because, just because it's money, don't say yes. I, I always just think at the start of your science communication career, any career, you just need to build your reputation. And that's why, you know, like you might need to get a job which you aren't, you know, loving. And, you know, that's the way you make money and then do your side projects on the side. And then over time, you can build hopefully up revenue from the side projects you're doing and move into that full time rather than selling out really early and being like getting known for like promoting random tea on your Instagram. I just think, yeah, you've got to be really cautious and not be driven by money. You've got to be driven by the opportunities that come to you. Yeah. And like, it can be tricky because obviously money is great. Yeah. Money is um... great. And and you should definitely be compensated for your work. I always say you shouldn't, you know, unless it's something that, you know, I've done a few things for free and I think early on you do things for free but if your time is getting more and more required then yeah you should definitely be compensated for the work that you do but it's yeah just don't do things just for money if it doesn't if you think will this do me favors in the future or will this harm me in the future or will this do nothing for me in the future if it's going to harm you or do nothing for you I tend to just be like no like because it's obviously just for money right now you know I read this in a book the other day and I've heard it before. If you get a request and it's not a hell yes, say no. Like if you don't really, really, really want to do that, if it doesn't excite you, say no. And you can say no in a nice way. You don't have to be like, I'm not doing it. Just be polite. And and that's something that I've learned the hard way because I think sometimes I say yes. I would say yes in the past to doing things and then it'll come to doing it. And I'd be like, why did I say yes to doing this? Then now I've got to do it. Yeah, I've done that so (laughs) many times. Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, oh, you know, so now I am really, I don't do any sponsorships on my platforms. I've done one for Penguin Books, I think. But that is something that aligns with me because I want to do writing and stuff in the future. So doing a, a little like collaboration with Penguin is something that I'm like, yeah, that's great. I have to really be like, that is something that totally, totally aligns with me to say yes. So I did a TikTok. I was a TikTok partner for six months. That mm-hmm. obviously, that was amazing because I just got paid for doing what I was doing anyway. And they didn't yeah. they didn't censor me. They didn't say, you have to post about this and this and this. They said, you have to make 20 videos over two months 
on whatever you want and you just need to make sure that you know they're not about drugs or whatever and they don't have swear words in and you had to tag tiktok uk in the caption and aside from that i just had to pass them through like i don't know the pr person who was dealing with it they check it and just be like okay yeah that's no problem and then they never told me to change anything so it's that was great because that obviously i just got paid for doing stuff that i love doing anyway but yeah Mm -hmm. i'd always be on the side of caution with money-based collaborations yeah, no, it's definitely something I'd, I'd like to do more of. I think just at the moment, I just feel completely overwhelmed with everything. Yeah. Um, probably pandemic. I feel like my creative energy is just so, so low right now. I, I love the idea of thinking I could sit down and write a blog post like tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. But then if I was actually going to sit down and do it, I'm like, oh, I just really cannot be bothered. Yeah. So, yeah, struggle, struggling with creative energy right now. Yeah. So it's so hard, yeah. I feel I'm insane. sure everyone is. Yeah, I think I think we all are. We're all in it together. So, what is your big psychom dream? What would you love to do in the future? Oh, my big psychom dream! <laughs> it's definitely to be. I'd say like in five years' time or so, I'd love to be completely freelance and for my freelance work, be doing presenting, podcasting. YouTube and writing so writing books and writing articles they're like that's my absolute goal and yeah I would just love to be traveling around the world if that's permissible again hopefully at Mm -hmm. some point and filming you know documentaries about science and yeah that that really is my big big goal and yeah I just think like with that type of work that isn't a career path which is why it's really scary and it's it's not something like I don't know if you go to med school you just have to I say you just have to pass your exams it's obviously very very hard <laughs> yeah and yeah I, I say this to my boyfriend all the time and he gets it I'm like I get jealous of him I'm like I'm jealous that you have this vocational path that for you you know if you do the hard work and pass the exams you'll be doing what you love and what you want and yeah. I said it's very difficult when you want a creative career and that isn't it's not set in stone but his counter to me is always well like what more would you be doing right now to like help yourself? And I'm like, oh yeah, I am doing everything that I I can be doing, you know, at the minute and and take opportunities as they come to me. So I think it's just about keep creating. And if you love what you do, keep doing what you love and putting yourself out there. And I always think of it as this. I don't think with, you know, TikTok or with an Instagram post or with YouTube, the video has to get thousands of views. It doesn't. I see it all as my CV and I'm like, that is yeah. my Psycom CV. And the more I practice it, the better it's going to get. And it means that if anyone is ever like, oh, do you do Psycom? I can be like, yes, go to my TikTok. There's 300 videos on there and people can just scroll through and see them. So I always think of it more as like you're building your Psycom CV and in the future, then more opportunities can come to you. And then you can show the evidence that you're capable of doing what you want to do. And then what's the what's the best part about being a science communicator for you? The best part about being a science communicator is people having to listen to me when I talk for once. <laughs> ah, I, no, I was going to say, like, I talk all the time. And, like, with psych comments, like, I actually, like, talk and people, like, you know, they don't really get a choice. They have to listen. <laughs> but I think it's just about, it's about being creative with science and taking a topic which is pretty hard and pretty complex and dry sometimes and being like okay how can I make this fun I'm trying to think about like my arsenal of like different skills so like would this be good as a video would it be cool as like a little drawing how can I make that accessible to other people and show people like just how awesome your brain and bodies are yeah it is the coolest thing and just being able to 
just marry like creativity with science information which like you say can be seen as quite dry especially from people who who aren't within the field so yeah it's a great marriage it's a perfect marriage Mm. in my opinion (laughs) my humble opinion yes definitely (laughs) so then my final question something I'm asking everyone that is a little bit different and not psychom related but just for me to crowdsource some inspiration to be honest so my question is where would you recommend traveling to and visiting on my next science, not even science adventure, just on my next adventure and why? Oh, well, I've only got one place off of the list. It's got to be Bermuda. It's got to be. Mm. Uh, so my partner is from Bermuda and we go every summer. So I've been over there six times, seven times now. I can't count because we've been together for a long time. But it's <laughs> honestly just be- beautiful. Like I would say it's a seven hour flight from London. So it's not too, too far. It's mm-hmm. not as far as the Caribbean, but you still have that Caribbean like climate. And it's a very, I don't know, like it's a really small place. Like it's got quite a rich history because uh, it was founded in like 1609. So it's mm. got like, you know, it's got some history there. And then there's just like a great vibe and a great culture there. And there's always really fun things to do. And if you want to like just chill, you can go to the beach and then there's like water sports and yeah, it's just honestly like a great place for me. It's one of the only places I can go to and actually switch off and not think about work. So it holds like a really, really special place in my heart. I know I'm biased because like my boyfriend's from there, but <laughs> I would, when anyone says to me, I want to go somewhere on holiday, I always stay there because I think there's something for everyone there. And yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a great place. Thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me today. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure I could talk to you about everything that you do for so, so much longer. There's so much to unpick. Oh, thank you for having me. And yeah, thank you for listening to me like ramble on. And I'm sure you will enjoy editing this lovely long podcast (laughs) and be like, why does Julia not stop talking? Uh, But this is why I've got into a job in science communication because... I get paid to talk, so that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, well, it's going to give me lots of extra stuff for bonus episodes too. So, there we know. go. There you go. Always a bonus. <laughs> oh, that's what people say when they talk to me, you know. Ask my parents, ask my partner. They will tell you how much of a bonus it is to listen to me all day, every day. They will not. They will not. <laughs> uh, maybe before we leave you go, you can remind everyone where they can follow you or find you online. Yes, of course. So you can find me. It's really annoying, actually, because my tag is different on every platform. But oh, no. to the to the vein of Julia Ravy Science. So on TikTok, it's just Julia Ravy Science, no spaces. On YouTube, Julia Ravy Science, three separate words. And then on Instagram, Julia Ravy Science with dots in between, Julia.Ravy.Science. Yes, I made this half for myself. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, huge inspiration. Love following everything that you do. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. And you've always been an inspiration of mine on my little psychom journey. I remember you were one of the first people I ever followed. And um, was just like... <laughs> I was like, I want to be like so. So yeah, it's amazing <laughs> to just chat to you today and you're doing such wonderful things with this platform and teaching others about the importance of Psycom and getting people involved and people are going to learn so, so much from all your amazing wisdom. Thank you. Well, that's why I'm bringing to other people because I'm still learning too. Oh, so. aren't we all? I am still very clueless about a lot of things, but <laughs> yeah, you just got to put yourself out there and learn as you go. And that's the way to do it. It's time for the final DIY section of season one. 
This is the part of the podcast where I share a tool, tip or resource with you that you can take action on right now and add it to your Psycom toolkit to help you bring more science stories to life. The resource today is one we mentioned. I want you to go and watch Julia's video about time blocking your calendar. As I said, it revolutionised my life. I still have to get better at sticking to it and having a bit more self-discipline if I'm being honest, but it has really helped me to better evaluate what extra work I can take on without getting too burnt out. I plan to create my own tutorial and templates on this in the future, but Julia has a fab video already, so why reinvent the wheel? So go watch the video, Julia takes you through each of the steps and then go and give it a go. It does take some time to get the right template for your week and see what kind of level of complexity say works for you. Are you just an AM PM kind of guy or are you more of a I need to have this blocked out piece by piece by piece kind of gal? So go take a look through the steps, have an experiment, see what works for you. When you find what does, trust me, it is game changing. I will leave a link to the video on my website at sofetalkscience.com forward slash toolkit. On that page, you can listen to all the episodes from the first season, get all the transcripts and show notes and every single resource I have shared so far. So that is season one, folks. I hope you have enjoyed listening. I certainly have loved creating it and learning how to improve myself. And on the theme of time and project management, I chose to create this podcast in seasons because it's still a side project for me. Having those breaks in between, it means that I can get all the content prepped and ready for the next season launch rather than doing it last minute and fingers crossed making it all a little bit more manageable around a full-time job and other things too. I would love to know what your favourite episode has been in season one. If you have any feedback, please do send it my way so I can continue to improve things for you. I really, really would love for this resource to be everything that you want. I will be back with season two in the summer, but do make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening, just in case there happens to be some bonus clips in between seasons. But until then, you can find me over on Instagram at sof.talks.science. And I'm also experimenting a little bit with YouTube and TikTok at the moment too. As for the podcast, stay tuned for the return date on the gram at Psycom Toolkit. And if you would like to see any particular topics or guests in season two, please do let me know. Have a fab summer, everyone, and I will see you in a few months. Bye.